one shot, one shot, one opportunity to bomb it like you've always wanted. In one moment, one moment, would you hit driver or just lay up? His grips are sweaty, breeze weak, hazards heavy. There's ketchup on his polo already, vodka in the Yeti. He's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop bombs. But he keeps on forgetting to keep his head down. His group goes so loud, he knows his next move, but his miss freaks him out. He's choking up how everybody's laughing now. The boy's howling, clubs up loud. Snaps back to the left again. Oh, there's a penalty. Oh, reload. Welcome to the Bomb Squad Podcast with your hosts, Matt Smith and Jerry Lou. Hello, friends, and thank you for joining us on the inaugural episode of the Bomb Squad Pod. I don't have anything clever to say for the first show. I'm your host with the most, Jerry Lou, and joining me now and always is my co-host, Matt Smitty Smith. How you doing today, buddy? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. How's it going on the West Coast? It's, uh, it's nice. It's nice. It uh, hasn't been as nice as lately, but um, the West Coast hasn't been hit near as hard as this... Uh, current medical situation that's going in the country worldwide right now excuse me so uh yeah i've just been sitting on my ass the past uh, two and a half months waiting for my uh my job to reopen but um uh we can uh i'm pretty sure we'll be uh, we'll be updating people with that uh pretty soon uh, we're recording this in early may but you might not be listening to this in early may you could be binging it while our robot overlords are looking right over your shoulder who knows so essentially we are happy to be a part of the sports travel podcast radio network a sports travel radio podcast network it's been a while sorry I, I, you folks might remember me from the from the back tees podcast i have uh, jumped ship onto a, a life raft that me ty and smitty have uh, built ourselves and uh we're going to shove off and uh, into the waters of golf information and humor for you so ultimately what we wanted you guys to do in this first episode is get to know us a little bit what our relationships are with each other uh, what our relationships are with golf our relationships with podcasts too, because if you're listening to this, believe you me, out of my hundreds of friends, nobody listens to podcasts. You're a very specific sect of people. And, um, and then we thought for the second half of the show, we would get into like kind of a no holds barred, no rules, uh, best male golfer all time draft. I mean, it's not like we're going to pit our teams. I should have thought this through. We should have pitted our teams into like some point system later, even though a lot of them are dead, but, um, Whoa, who are you drafting the crypt keeper? Like what the hell? I, I got some numbers here that, uh, that, are, that are meant to shock and inform. <laughs> hey, that's what we're here for, right? Well, uh, real quick, um, Smitty, do you have a, an Instagram account or a Twitter handle we can get out of the way before we start getting real personal? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the Twitter handle, at zero fairways given. So uh, instead of zero Fs given, just put uh, fairways in there. So zero, the number. Zero. The number. Yeah. Fairways given, and then uh, yeah, the the Instagram one. That one's a little tough because I change it too often. But right now it is M dot Smithereens. Uh, there's a Y instead of an I there, and Smith, and uh, two E's on, on the Reens. So uh, on the Reens, <laughs> it, it's a locked account anyway. So you probably won't get a follow back or anything. But uh, hey, if you want to add me, great, go for it. Well, I, I mean, I saw we became friends on Instagram because I just started my own Instagram account, which was, you know, curated, curated. That's a, uh, a combination of cult, 
oh man, I com combine the other words that I messed up on, screw it. I just started Instagram, so I only have like five followers or whatever, but my Instagram handle's at uh, that underscore looper underscore life. And that's just gonna be exterior golf shots and uh, filters and whatnot. And Twitter, you can find me at Jerry Lou Looper. Uh, quick backstory for me, Smitty can be uh, confidential if he wants to. I am a caddy at Bandon Dunes Golf Resort in Bandon, Oregon. In fact, that's kind of where I'm sitting, just outside Bandon, Oregon, in a tiny little hickish town called Coquille. Matt, where are you at right now? Um, I'm in my living room, so Stratford, Ontario, so pretty much halfway between Detroit and Toronto, so Eastern time zone, so, you know, I'm, I'm three hours ahead. It's the first thing I've and ever been ahead at in life, so I got that going <laughs> for me. Well, you'll always have that going every single time we do this then. You'll always be starting ahead. I like that. Uh, well, unless we ever do a live version from Bandon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, most definitely doable, seeing as how, how I met Smitty folks was... Um, Funniest thing, and he, I've talked with his friend Ty in the meantime about it several times. It's a fun story, but I really haven't gotten a chance to correspond with Matt too much. But really, I, uh, he followed, we followed each other on Twitter for some time. And next thing I know, I got this very oddly spelled yet generic sounding name, Request Me. And uh, when he sees me, he's just like, hey, buddy. I'm just like, yeah, what's up? He's just like, don't you marry me from Twitter? I'm like, well, what's your name? And then when he gave us the clever handle of Zero Fair, we've given him like, okay, now I can start to cross all the wires. And... I had the privilege of caddying for Matt at Bandon Dunes for the first day, and I evidently did a good enough job. I wound up uh, getting his buddy Ty to hire me as well for the rest of the trip. And then Ty and I have been corresponding as uh, friends. He has uh, great podcasts on the network if you're into fantasy baseball. And Jesus, I've had him explain his job to me like five times, Matt, and I do know what it is, but I don't know how I could really explain it in a verbal or tangible way to somebody else at the, at the orbit that he's doing it. So... <clears throat> Yeah, if I can uh, if I can describe it properly, I think he puts people in rooms at tournaments. So kind of a tournament travel coordination, uh, tournament travel, basically like almost like a, a a sport concierge service. Let's call it books your room, gets you where you need to go. Sometimes runs the tournament as well. So I I don't know. He's all over the map. He's like the international man of mystery Canadian version. So, <laughs> so that makes international man of mystery light. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get him on here someday for driver tips or something, and he'll have to describe that. But that's all I got. No, absolutely. He, uh, like, I I mostly know Ty from uh, we talk fantasy baseball a lot, and uh, and that's something that you're that you're involved with with him too. Uh, I like his dingers podcast, and yeah, he taught me that like doesn't matter how like you, it doesn't matter how big or small your podcast is, it's it's wildly entertaining. I don't even play fantasy baseball that much, honestly. I listen to fantasy. Uh, insight for actually baseball news because like I feel like people are actually taking a slightly next level of analytical depth or, or plumbing something there so yeah they do a, they do a lot of good work and he does do his um, tournament talk podcast that's what I was leading to um, in that regard so anyways this is a uh, this has essentially been our relationship uh, how Matt and I met through golf we want to try and keep it around golf we'll always tangent off into humor or sports or what have you I mean it's only going to be natural and organic and just you know, the conversation goes where it goes. And um, also, we don't know when golf is going to return. I mean, do you have a prediction on that? I mean, in, like, regardless if we're going to have crowds or not, when mm -hmm. do you think golf's going to start up again? It, it, it's tough, right? Like, the PGA Tour wants to go ahead with, I think it's mid-June, second week of June, um, four tournaments without fans. Um, you know, I know you guys at the resort are opening uh, next one week today, so that would be uh, March 11th. Um, mm -hmm. Our... Man. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I'm living <laughs> in the past here. I, I've, I've been on home lock for two months here and I don't even know what month it is. But uh, 
Yeah, I know here in Ontario, so our, our provincial government just cleared for the grounds crews to start preparing golf courses, even though they already have been. Um, but yeah, like uh, at this point in time, you know, PGA Tour would be a bonus, but just getting outside and playing, I think, is uh, mostly probably on our listeners' minds right now. So when can we get out? When can we uh, enjoy the game? And what's that going to look like, right? Especially with the changes, uh, you know, social distancing. Mm. The cops, first off, hole-in-ones. How's that going to work? Just don't can it. You have to have it roll in. You cannot. <laughs> well, first of all, I've noticed everyone's been doing it differently, and we won't talk about this too long because, obviously, uh, in terms of how we're going to drop these episodes, you might be hearing this actually the day the tour has started back up again. But needless to no. say, I've seen at my resort, um, which they've been letting us caddies and employees play twice a week for the past few weeks, which has been bully on them, very nice, Um We've been doing what a lot of places are doing is they're like kind of cutting, they're shaving down and cutting a pool noodle like down to just a couple inches and sticking that in the bottom. And that's why I said, unless you crash the cup, I really don't see like we, I've, I think we had one person like hammer a putt that like hit the stick and hit the lip the wrong way and hit the foam and bounce out. But other than that, it's been flawless. So yeah. Hey, kudos. Engineering well, at finer. You guys have your own lockdown every winter time up north. So I mean, this yeah. is. You're you're just about to come out of your out of your like shelter to begin with, and just like regular, right? Uh, other than not being able to play hockey either, so basically we're all screwed up here in Canada. We have nothing going for us. Can't play hockey. Can't play golf. We can't even have beers together in the front yard. Well, I I mean, unless there's somebody standing on the sidewalk, and then somebody is subsequently standing in the street, and that's dangerous. I get that. So especially depending on where you live. So like I said, we won't hover too much around the current events, but uh. That's hopefully what we're going to do is uh, see golf, whether it's got fans or not. I mean, I always thought, and I've heard other non-golfers or in terms of sports fans agree, that it's um, it's really a sport that doesn't necessarily need the, the in-person participation or, or, or the crowds, per se. Now, here's something funny for you I'll, I'll ask real quick, though. <clears throat> if they were to have these PGA tournaments, are they going to have the grandstands if there's no crowds? Because that would change a really – not to, like, we could – we could have a controversial topic about discussion about that for 15 minutes down the road, another episode. But I really like to joke around about like, Hey pros, if those grandstands weren't there, not to bank them off. If you sizzle your five iron over the green, who knows how far it's going down the path, mm -hmm. et cetera, so forth, no trampled grass. So how do you think it's going to work when it opens? Yeah, it's It's going to be weird. You know, I, I know, you know, yeah. we'll get into my golf history, but I played a little bit of tournament tournament golf, not in front of a lot of people. Uh, Actually, go, go for it. Let's, there's the segue. Take it away. What's your relationship with golf, Maddie Smith? Yeah, so um, born and raised a golfer pretty much. So grandparents played, parents played. So, you know, as soon as I was big enough to handle some plastic little tykes clubs, I probably had them in my hand. Um, yeah, my grandmother was the first female president of our local club. So she's got that going for her. Um, <laughs> Yeah, raised in a really unique uh, environment for junior golf. So the club I was a member at, uh, extremely cheap for juniors, uh, a massive junior program. They'd shut down the course every Friday morning. So hundreds of kids out there um, learning to play the game. We'd get a lesson. There'd be three, five, nine hole and 18 hole divisions as you progress um, and just kind of got hooked. So really strong junior program, me and a whole bunch of buddies. We'd play hockey together. We'd play golf together. So, you know, we had a really, really strong core of, of solid junior golf and kind of got into the, the competitive stream that way. Um, ended up going to school for golf management um, and ultimately getting uh, my PGA card here in Canada. So uh, club professional went in, went through that stream. 
Um, and then, you know, kind of, you know, being around the game every day at the club, just didn't want to play that much. Lost that, that spark, that desire to play. So got my amateur status back. Um, you know, I have a regular nine to five job and I play golf for the fun of it. Um, you know, I, I've, I like club fitting. Um, I, I love my clubs, my specs, um, you know, playing amateur tournaments still, uh, provincial tournaments, uh, local invitationals, things like that. And I know my girlfriend would call me a golf dork, but whatever, it keeps me, uh, keeps me going every day. It keeps me out of the, the bad habits. What about well, you, you just described most of my friends. It turns out like anytime 12 golfers shout out, uh, you guys know who you're in our, I'm going to say the names cause some might get offended, but anytime 12 golfers show up, and we all randomly get, randomly get paired with people like golf or caddy-wise, whatever. I always tend to get the golf nerd of the group, and everyone's just like, oh, thank God. He'll talk your ear off. I'm just like, I can handle that. I can handle that. Just mean we can nerd out on golf all day. So being a golf dork, I mean, unless that's a different term for a whale's dick, I mean, come on. <laughs> no, just somebody who uh, passionately loves the game. So, Well, it's, it's a beautiful game for as, as, as old and as slow and as elitist as it still can be. I still enjoy it in that it's the most universal life sport that you can really enjoy weather pending i mean i know like like one thing i notice here in america a lot is um it's there isn't much hockey and it's not just necessarily because of the venues per se or like the climate it's more so i i notice like population like where it's more population there's more money and kids when they go through their damn growth spurts i mean you probably went through it you see it all the time it's like hockey equipment is all-encompassing and all covering and not cheap so no. i can only imagine when it comes to golf it's not cheap but i mean now that's your wardrobe that changes, not your, not necessarily your sticks or the rest of half your equipment per se. So, um, I like you have didn't exactly take the professional route, but um, in short, I was from a golf family, but none of us really. My uncle was a really great golfer at a state high school level, but beyond that, we were just. And I was thinking about it, as you said, like golf to me was just a, the best time waster. Like my old man took me to the course when I was four, and he only told me one rule, and he said, "Just don't talk when anyone else is hitting the ball." And, and then he, that, he I. I know he wasn't, he was going to teach me golf and he did eventually build me clubs or whatever. But in terms of a first lesson to tell anyone, I thought that was perfect. Cause he just let me pay attention when I wanted to pay attention. But overall it's like, Hey, just don't be noisy or loud. Be still when the other guys are hitting. So every Thursday night for men's league, I'd be out there in the scramble, just watching. I remember taking my dry, my dad's like three wood head cover and driver head cover. And I'd shadow box like off to the side of the green while everyone else is doing normal golf stuff. But, uh, but I just mostly happen to be very fortunate that, in Coos County, Oregon here, Mike Kaiser decided to build one of his first golf resorts that wound up becoming <clears throat> the crown jewel in his like destination resort empire. And uh, my freshman year of high school, the resort opened up. I uh, applied to be a caddy. Very easy work. And then after 15 years of a, uh, after I graduated high school in 2003, 15 years of tooling around the country, six years in the military. Uh, gosh, I lived out in Maryland, lived in Colorado, California twice. Uh, with the exception of the Colorado stint, I was always around golf. Like, like right when I got out of the service, um, didn't really have any job opportunities. And then I wound up walking into my local golf course and became the weekend cashier of the pro shop, worked my way up to 60 hours a week, called myself a third assistant professional. Nobody said boo. I ran with it. And, uh, and I was like playing eight, out, pay, playing eight rounds a week while working six shifts. It just it, I didn't care what I got paid. I just liked, I had the golf bug all throughout my life. And the thing, and I came back to uh, Oregon summer of 2018 to caddy full-time abandoned. But the thing that gets me about golf, Smitty, and it really bugs me because I'm not getting any younger. None of us are. And I sure as hell haven't hit the gym in over 10 years. But in the 30 plus years I've been golfing, 
I always just wanted to hit like a certain level and now I've hit that level and surpassed it. Like really one of the reasons it's keeping me in the game so much right now is I'm getting better pretty much every time I play. Not to say with no end in sight. I just, I look at it like, yeah, now I'm breaking 80 every time when I'm shooting bad rounds. It's just like, whoa, wait a second. You just wanted to live at 80, Jerry. And that was all I wanted to be. I would have been content with that. So essentially that's, and that's my relationship with the game now because my nine to five job, God willing, once this uh, lockdown alleviates here soon, I just, I'm at the course every day. I don't take any days off. I'm just, unless the girlfriend and I schedule a trip or something way down the road, I just insist to be around the game as much as I can. And it kind of stunk like on my old podcast or, or whenever anyone asked me like, you know, tell me some good caddy stories or what you've seen. I have seen so much that it's just, it's, it's so hard to remember. It's it, without building those personal relationships with somebody, like I, with the exception of that picture that uh, I took of you on 16T at Bandon, I really don't remember your round per se. So when you and Ty start making jokes about who was driving with what, I'm kind of like, <laughs> I'm like looking around going like, I don't remember what he's talking about, but don't be rude. Just like, yeah, 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 Matt, you hit the ball bad, right? I mean. You're in a pretty unique role out there, right? Because, you know, for me, I can speak from experience, you know, planning the trip, you know, the anticipation builds. Um, I read a great book before going out there, right? So Dream Golf, all about, you know, Mr. Kaiser building the resort and planning it and all the things they had to go through. Um, And and then you, you know, how we met on Twitter is, you know, I followed the resort, liked a few things, followed a couple people, and then all of a sudden you keep popping up and you know you had some some witty banter about it you're probably chirping a few guys that you were looping for um throwing some sports talk out there so i'm like all right if i'm gonna get a caddy like i might as well get somebody who at least has the same interest so you know it speaks to the power of twitter but yeah you're in a unique role of you know you're you're dealing with sometimes return customers but sometimes for people it's it's the trip of a lifetime right it's a dream come true (laughs) Um, and you're just trying to ride shotgun and, and, and make it as enjoyable as possible. Meanwhile, we're just soaking it all in. So I can definitely see where it becomes a blur for you. But yeah, it's, it, it's a really, it's a really cool, cool role out there. And uh, who knows, maybe I'll just quit my job and, and just fly out there and start looping. So get some free golf out of it at pretty couple of decent golf courses. Well, and it's year-round. That's the thing about, like, the west coast of the United States. Whether you're down in San Diego or Seattle, it is year-round golf. I mean, it does rain a bit more up there, and it's colder. But, yeah, we don't have any shutdown or harsh winter, so to speak. Yeah, you guys uh, don't have two feet of snow on February 1st. So, yeah, you're good. And needless to say, that's why the, the three or four years I lived in Colorado, I didn't golf. I mean, I golfed, like, once a year at my friend's club. But other than that, it just was something you just uh, really couldn't enjoy. And uh, going back to something you said about how, like, it, it kind of can be a blur to me out there. We're all also well aware of how, like I call it like a roller coaster, like golfers that go out there, no matter what they plan, that you're getting, all your senses are being assaulted. And it, and it takes a lot of like living here and working here and doing it to like get over that taking for granted stage to realize, oh, wait, let me put myself in their shoes and everything that they're going through and like what they paid and all the anticipation and blah, blah, blah. And I noticed, yeah, half the golfers that we get, it's a repeat trip for them. The other half, uh, the one time they're going in their lifetime, and they act like it and they know it. And I'm just kind of like, come on, guys. If you've been here once, you can do it again. But needless yeah. to say, that's uh, – yeah, it's, it's very interesting at worst. It's, uh, it's very amazing. And uh, it's definitely a grind that people ask me, like, so you got any plan? Like, what are you going to do later in life? I'm like, as long as I don't sprain an ankle too hard or get a blister that won't go away – I'm very fortunate to do this for a living. I mean, if uh, <clears throat> if I want to start a family per se, it's a very flexible schedule of when you want to work in like certain like non-set hours, so to speak. But um, but anyways, that's uh, that's our relationship with golf, folks. And real quick, before we get into our more golf uh, 
talk here, I wanted to ask Matt, because we never talked about this before, but Matt, do you listen to any podcasts? Like, what is your relationship with, like, like daily audio listening? Music, podcasts, you got anything out there? Yeah, so I'm kind of all over the board music-wise. Uh, I'll listen to pretty much anything, but uh, for any of our Canadian listeners, uh, you know, Overdrive Radio, TSN Radio out of Toronto, um, just a, a, three guys, ex-jocks, they've all played hockey. They, they cover all topics, so that's a, that's a daily listen. Um, as for golf, uh, the No Laying Up crew, just, you know, some uh, some really interesting takes on, you know, they love chirping PGA Tour golf, right? Coverage, they love just tearing that to bits. Um, but also, you know, they dive deep. They've got that... They've got that normal guy kind of vibe, but they also have access to, you know, Rory McIlroy's on this pod. So it's, it's that's really cool to see. Um, and then the equipment side, so TXG, Tour Experience Golf, um, their YouTube channel and, uh, and podcast, they get, you know, a ton of insight into the clubs, the fitting, kind of the tech side of golf. So those are, those are my kind of key listens and, and main listens almost on a daily basis. <clears throat> That's that's the fun about podcasts that I like, and the reason why I listen to the ones I do is because I stumbled on a podcast, God, like 2009, right about when I was getting out of the service, and I, it was Bill Simmons on ESPN, the sports guy, but he would only put out like an hour a week, and I'm just like, oh, so I'd go back seven weeks and download it and eat it up and be like, well, what do I do now? And he was one of Corolla's guys, so he turned me on to Corolla, who does an hour and a half every day, five days a week, so I'm like, good, there's some some meat there and i've recently like doubled down on joe rogan just in terms of like this guy's got like incredible content and uh i mean yeah joe rogan's a dumbass and he'll tell you himself but but he'll all he also like has real interesting people on there and you don't know like how some of those conversations are going to go and i mean i've been listening to god 20 25 hours a week of, of podcasts for the past 10 years like i've been like wildly obsessed with I was the guy who always had an earbud in, whether he was working or doing something, you just catch. And everyone thought I was listening to music. I'm like, oh, I never listen to music. I mean, I own a lot of music, but I never listen to music just by myself like that. So it was always a podcast. And, um, and uh, gosh, I mean, I also learned some things where like uh, ESPN's PTI or Around the Horn, they, they always said, check out our podcast on iTunes. And I did. And I'm like, oh, it's just their episode. So I don't have to catch it at 5 p.m. I could just listen to a commercial free, even though now they've gotten clever and put commercials in there. But, you know, we got fast forward buttons. Please don't hit yours right now. But it's, uh, it's all relative. And uh, I don't know, like it, my whole thing, and I like to know laying up guys too, but, but there was, there, there, I, it was the reason why I helped uh, from the back tees and starting their podcast uh, a little over a year ago was, you had no laying up, which are great guys. The, the chirping, it's perfect. But And I've been on the record of saying this, not on this pod, so I'll say it once and hopefully never to repeat myself again. But I treat them as like the golf hipsters. Like they they have some very heady takes, some very smart, flighty things to say. But then the second they come up with like a term and you chirp it back to them, they give you like the digital rolling of the eyes. And they don't say it like, oh, we've already sauce. We've done, we stopped saying the word saucy. It's just like, well, F you too. We're all saying it now. Then you flip the kaleidoscope around and look at it from the other way, you got bar, uh, Barstool Sports with their foreplay pod. They're, those guys are kings. They do a really good job. I really love them, except for uh, Frankie. That guy is a, a conditional moron and needs to be, like, medicated and put in a room for his life for his own sake and those around him. Because he said at one point, wait a minute, if our temples are so sensitive and we can get hit and die, why aren't we all walking around with helmets on all the time? I deleted and unsubscribed right as soon as I heard that. I'm just like, I can't. I can't. I, I know I've said incorrect or dumb stuff before, but Jesus, Pete, has this guy leave the house without like thinking of volcanoes in his backyard? I mean, but that's 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 really the whole genesis of why I want to get into golf podcasting because 
it's super like blue collar, white collar. It's every man's collar and woman's. Uh, we're always drinking, listening to music now. It's it's like-minded stuff. You know, I, I go to I go to like these draft beer places, um, like these uh, microbrews in California. And everyone's like, oh, I have such a good time there. I wonder why. It's like, well, genius. The 15 people in here are all very like-minded people. That's why we're in here. So yep. it doesn't matter if our audience gets big or small or how whatever. It's all about like how we can reach out and touch you so to speak but like it, it it's it, i don't know it's hard to describe because I, I used to be obsessed with the numbers and like growth and things like that in the end it's like no 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 it's more about like uh ingratiating yourself with like uh with your quote-unquote audience no matter how big or small your audience is so needless to say that's kind of why i left the back from the back tees and i was not worried about being like okay i'll just go you know do a podcast with smitty here yeah, everybody finds golf in a in a different light and they're a different phase in life, right? Either they're raised in it, or it's all around them. They they are competitive golfers, they're leisure golfers, they're once a year golfers. And then there's the people who literally just, you know, watch it on TV. They enjoy watching it for whatever reason. So, you know, there's every type of golf watcher, participant, and you know what? We've all probably got some opinions, so why don't we make them known? Let's get them out there. And, and one last thing before we get to the real meat and potatoes that is the golf that is why you're hopefully listening right now, folks. Um, I, I, people don't understand. I try and say it all the time. Like golf Twitter is a very specific entity. Certain professional sports have certain relationship with certain, um, um, whether it's social media or not, but certain mediums or platforms of just existence, so to speak. Golf Twitter to me, it's, no, it's a no-brainer why it's so popular. Take most of your golf fans in America. They're, or they're mostly probably have an average income of 100k or higher. They enjoy golf themselves. They're, and if you have uh, an income that you, you must be a well put together, like a salient individual and like myself who can like string three things together. And that's why it just the fans of the game more often than not are dignified. And that's why like I even though I, I can more often than not, I tend to be shitty on Twitter, but that's just because the Twitter account I made was to talk shit to everyone saying, hey, I, I work at Bannon, I play at Bannon, and Pebble, go to hell. Like, everyone, get, come come, come and party with me. Y'all can just F off otherwise. And I didn't realize that some people were telling me, like, stick with that brand. I'm just like, oh, okay. I was just bragging about my home course, essentially, where I work, and as long as it doesn't get me fired, whatever. But, um, but yeah, that's it's just, I lost my train of thought. I didn't but, know where you were with that one either, but... Hey, yeah, that's why, that's, why, that's why I lost it. I was looking at the um, – we're going to get into our golf draft here, but I was also looking at the quick housekeeping part in the middle. I am very proud to say, everybody, we have a sponsor already. It's true. The Fired Bomb up. Squad Pod. And we have a sponsor. It is Gorse Golf. Yes, you might remember them. They, I guess they might just be a personal sponsor of mine, but no, they're great people. My boy Crazy and his wife Christine run it. They make custom head covers, beautiful custom head covers. You go to gorsegolf.com. They have an Instagram at gorsegolf, so you can see their products. These head covers are easily 100 bucks American a pop, and he sells them for 50 it, It's straight up. And if you type into the promo or coupon section, I forget what it is. I haven't been to the website in a while. Type in Bomb Squad Pod, all one word. You're going to get 10% off your purchase as well. So a cheap product, getting even cheaper. I love Akbar Kisti and what he did with uh, Seamus Golf. He's an old friend of mine, but now we're living in a world of $150 head covers. And this, like, he's got, oh, I don't know if you've seen him, Smitty. He's got, like, he had a line of head covers where, like, they had uh, pinup girls and, like, naked ladies, and he had to remove them when this whole Me Too stuff kicked up. And since then, like, late, uh, girls' college golf teams have been calling him saying, can we get those head covers, please? Like, I mean, it's, he's very PC about it, but his product is very, very much in advance. So, gorsegolf.com. Remember the promo code, Bomb Squad Pod, all one word. Instagram at Gorse Golf if you want to see their products out there. 
And if you have any questions and you want to send them through, uh, oh, there you go. What's that? What's that one? The uh, fishing lures for uh, uh, our, our avid sportsmen out there. <laughs> yeah, he's a uh, he's he's got so many good head covers. That's the reason why I haven't bought any yet because I only have a I have a forward and a driver, and I can't decide what two out of his twenty that I really want to get. So. And uh, if you folks want to send us any questions via email and make sure the uh, NSA with the United States government reads them, please send them to bomb squad pod Q and a all one word. That's bomb squad pod Q and a at gmail.com. They will be assessed and resent with a good reply, hopefully by our bomb squad pod. Uh, what was it? Um, no crew. Yeah, that works. It doesn't, uh, it, it used to be squad, but that's already in our name. Uh, I'm thinking of an old uh, promo from earlier. So, uh, I meant to ask you, Smitty, do you have a coin? I, I, I don't think I came prepared Ooh, here. Yeah, I, <laughs> I got all these notes. I got everything going on. I got a couple fresh beers. And uh, meanwhile, I've, I've sent Matt to go get a loony or a toonie. You want, yeah, like Canadian or U.S.? What currency are we talking here? You know, so long as you can read it, I trust you. That's that's really the important part. <laughs> got, the, got the old Canadian quarter here. So, all right, uh, so folks, what we're going to do here, this is a uh, we're doing a best golfers all-time draft. We're going to go back and forth, two-person snake style, men only. And really, all this is is to show you a little bit about, like, who we like in golf, why we like them in golf, and hopefully we can pull some stats out or some stories that uh, can entertain and inform you. So, what uh, you got the coin. I don't know what heads or tails is over there. It's probably like a beaver and a beehive. Yeah, we have a moose on the front and the queen on the back. So, you know, keep it you know, scary thing i just saw an american quarter from 2020 it was a state quarter but it said american samoa i was like oh neat it had a picture of two bats on it <clears throat> <laughs> that's probably not a good thing to be touting right now but yeah yeah an another conversation for another time <laughs> exactly <laughs> right, uh, so so i'll flip it here I'll, I'll let my american compadre here make the call what is it moose <laughs> moose it's the queen so uh i'll go first all right the uh, best golfer draft all time and uh yeah we'll, we'll we gotta we'll try to keep it at 30 minutes you know maybe 10 rounds so we'll uh, hopefully it doesn't get too heated and we can uh, develop some good rosters here but who do you got first mr smitty uh, yeah um you know born in 86 as i am you know obviously a big year in golf mr uh nicholas took down his 18th and final major but i'm going tiger here uh, grew up during the Tiger phase, right? Tiger mania. So I, I can remember watching his first Masters in 97 that he, that he won. And then glued to the edge of my chair last year. I can't say I was glued in the chair as I was, you know, standing half the time watching on the <laughs> tour around the back nine at Augusta last year. So Tiger Woods, like an unbelievable record for straight or, or cuts made. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, his his record tears from uh, 2000 through to, to 05, you know, coming back from injury, a unique life story as well. So I, I, there's not much I need to say here. I'm pretty sure everybody knows who Tiger Woods is, and that's my number one overall pick. That's a, I mean, that's a good one. The only thing I wrote, I wrote down Woods in my notes here real quick in case I had to make a power play and you skipped to him and I got him in the third round was – I put, I granted it was the 99 PGA, so it was last major of the year, but from 99 PGA to the 08 US Open in the summertime, 13 of his 15 majors are won in that time. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and when I used to break apart those stats before, this is before he won his uh, latest Masters uh, last year. So we just had his one almost, I wouldn't even want to call it a rookie win, like his win in 97. That was just more so like, holy shit, look who's on the scene. The guy who shot 40 
in the very first nine of the whole tournament. He went out plus four and came back in after 72 holes with, like, the record and, like, just blew everyone's windshield wipers off. I mean, whoo. It's how could you unless you're a racist, how could you not be enamored by that? I mean, it was just just gold. So you got Mr. Woods, then I will see your woods and I'll um I don't know, just to keep it uh keep it simple, keep it even, keep it brief, I'll raise you a Mr. Nicholas then with eighteen majors, eighteen runners up. One of the the one thing that I think I like the best about Jack, and Tiger didn't necessarily have this too much, but it's not his fault because we're seeing in hindsight that the the talent field out there is so sparse, which could be argued in a different uh, light, in a different way. Uh, Jack knocked down a couple generations of golfers. Like, he came in the middle of Palmer's prime, and he was just that fat kid from Ohio that nobody liked because he had Arnie's army backing him up. And then and Jack just goes out there and just hammers it. I mean, he, 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 I always – I never want to look at him when people say, like, oh, I wonder how you do with today's equipment. It's like, it doesn't matter. These guys would adapt with how they should, but just looking at Jack – like in his raw, like late sixties, early seventies, just like it looked like he was swinging an axe out there, just trying to hit like Tim Cup style, just trying to beat the ball everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Like a record that just kind of speaks for itself, and and obviously we're going to be going across eras here, so we always have to take that into yeah. a, into account. And you know, you talked about the eighteen runners up as well, but I think it's fifty three, something in the fifties in top threes in majors. So just just oh. think about that. I should. I. I really wish I would have got to that layer of the onion because that would have been. That to me, some of those stats are even more amazing, like that. Because a lot of people used to compare, like obviously Woods wanted to beat Mr. Nicholas, and, but I mean Nicholas at the time had 18 runners up to his 18 major wins, and Tiger had, I think, like eight or nine majors and no runner ups, which just mm-hmm. kind of went to kind of goes to show you some things per se. I mean, I mean, heck, we just saw most recently like if Tiger isn't making the cut like at Riv, he's just out there slapping around to 78 to be like, when's my flight? I mean, it, you can't blame anybody for doing that, especially one Eldrick Woods. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, we, uh, yeah, going back to the era thing, what I want to do is I got a couple of gems in here I want to pull out on you that are just like, well, this is why I picked this guy because listen to these GD stats here, baby. I mean, I hope I get to mine first. I got, I got one big sleeper down my sleeve here and I hope it comes out, but I'm trying to Dude, wait. Was my sleepers right here. I didn't write in any stats because I just want to like drop the mic and walk away. <laughs> oh, All right, well, who do you got? It's, it's not snake style, by the way. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, that, that wouldn't make sense. It's only two people. Well, that means I go again. That means that means you go, and then it's two, 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 two. (laughs) So my next one's Bobby Jones. So you know, oh really? Yeah. Um, Thank you. Well, I don't know who you're taking next, but you know, lifetime amateur. What's he got? He's got five U.S. Opens. Let let me just look at four. He's got four. Four U.S. Opens, three Opens. Never turns pro, so obviously can't compete in in the PGA. Um, doesn't compete in the in the Masters because well, well he invented the Masters. He just yeah, builds yeah. the damn place. So <laughs> his name's you know, on the building. <laughs> five five USAMs and then goes across the pond for one and goes and wins obviously the the British Open or sorry the British Am. So wins the unilateral all four one year. And basically says retires, right? Goes to the law school, serves in the war. You know, obviously he was sick, um, didn't have the best health, ends up dying early. But, you know, it just speaks to that short period of time in which he completely dominated the game. Like, the only golfer I know other than Hogan to get a ticker tape parade in New York City. So he's got Mm -hmm. that going for him for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, I like to, I I snicker at Jones because it's like, other than, everything you just described, I like to dismiss him because I, I do have a counterpart to his I'm about to pick next, and I'll, I'll tell you why I'm picking him. 
but needless to say, like everything that Jones did. did so what was, I want a question for you, in 1930, the year that he won the, uh, the original Grand Slam, what mm -hmm. was the fourth event? Was it the U.S. Amateur or the British Amateur? I'm pretty sure it was the U.S. Amateur. It was the U.S., yeah. So we, it went U.S. Open, Open Championship, Amateur, British, and then U.S. Am over here. Okay, so I, I, I only asked that just making sure and that I forget who he played. And, and this might be shitting on your Jones pick just a little bit, but I, uh, regardless, when he won the U.S. Amateur in the very final match, I'm pretty sure the poor tomato can that he beat, he beat him eight and seven or like nine and eight. Yeah, it, was, it was the 12th hole at Marion. Okay, okay, perfect. Thank you. So, so that being said, it's, it's, if it wasn't Walter Hagen, then it's like, well, who, who the hell's Bobby Jones ripping up out there? I mean, in, in, in the match play sense. I mean, match play, exactly. I've heard things about Bobby Jones that make me sound like, well, okay, then he's the only guy who was talented and everyone else was just lucky or got that piece of little rock around because it's really hard to do that. But, I mean, Bobby Jones, like, I, I remember watching on Golf Channel those old uh, instructional videos of his. And, man, when they slow that down, like, even on our resolution, it looks good. And I saw one episode he was doing trick shots off the tree and stuff like that. It's just like, this is the 1930s, and this is good, salient, and funny. I mean, well, that's exactly. – uh, well, it's unfortunate that you picked uh, Jones because I will back him up with one of my favorite golfers all time. I got a picture of him right up here with a late, uh, an older Francis we met, and that's Walter Hagen. Now, Walter Hagen was in the same area, area as well as era as Bobby Jones. And what Hagen – oh, that's Hogan. I got a little glare on the screen here. What Hagen has going for him is he's got – 13 negative 11 majors now this is obviously like we said before the time of um the masters so it wasn't the modern grand slam we didn't have the four majors but he won five pga championships in his match play four were in a row from 24 to 27 he won four british opens which by the way as canadians do you guys call them open championship or british opens i flip-flop the the open championship presented by her majesty the queen if i can take that off the no laying up guys but i'm canadian right so i'm still They'll never know you know we, we've got the reign of Her Majesty the Queen, so we got a blender in there somewhere. Okay, well, I, you know, I figured, like, you had both, you literally had, were on the fence for that, so. <laughs> and then uh, Hagen had his, uh, his two U.S. Opens, but what I really, really appreciate about Walter Hagen, and we'll get to um, somebody in the next generation who kind of carried the torch as he did, but Walter Hagen, I forget the year, but he went over across the pond to play in uh, one of the Open Championships, and he essentially, this was back when, like, we saw how Harry Varden had to deal with it, but it was back when pros were not allowed in the clubhouse. It was still considered the upper-class game, the elitist game, and the pros were essentially like the blacksmith or the working man. Or like I still see it at clubs like tennis pros are treated the same way. It's hilarious. But, um, and golf pros, get, golf pros get paid the same way. They get treated better, but they get paid the same. Needless to say, um, Hagen essentially said, like, if you don't let me inside the locker room and clubhouse – I'm going to, and he like snapped his fingers and he parked his giant stagecoach right on the front lawn of the club and said, well, this is my dressing room, my locker room. And as he was just about to go do his thing, they said, all right, pros are allowed in the clubhouse. And that became a thing from then on out. The golf pro finally had its little tipping point in terms of, I know Varden worked on it, but he was also a quieter fellow who kept it more reserved. Whereas we know how bombastic and flamboyant Hagen was. And I don't even look at that too much as like being arrogant or flamboyant. I just look at it as like, he was just maybe fancy. Maybe he drank a little bit more. Maybe he didn't practice as much as the other guys. I mean, and so what? So I, I think what? he was the first John Daly, except he didn't have Hooters on the side of his car. Well, he, he had like, uh, I don't know uh, what the equivalent would have been in that area or that time. I don't know when Hooters started, per se. <laughs> um, I think, but I, I think they were I, called I really Burlesque back then. 
That, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I, I truly appreciate Walter Hagen. I'm glad to shoehorn him in here because, uh, uh, I mean, the 11 majors, tough to argue with. And um, he just – I really like what he did in terms of – I do have a, a small penchant for the professional golfer still, like the working golfer. And I always like to think that if it weren't for him, maybe certain barriers would have been broken until later, which means, as I said, when we started the show, golf is a very old, slow sport. So God knows when things could have been uh, kicked off any further. So, all right, we got that off the board. What do you got, Smitty? Uh, you went Hag and I go Hogan. So you know, we're going down the major list here. It's the fourth all time, nine majors. So two masters, two PGAs. He's got obviously four U.S. Opens and – one uh british or sorry british how about the open championship just one of those yeah in 53 yeah yeah which course though oh i'm really i'm so i'm so bad with their rota over there i mean they have a whole name after it come on hogan's alley number six i thought that was it wait i thought that was at riviera hogan's alley well they call that now the north american version but the original is the six hole at carnoustie Right, so Thank out of bounds, out of bounds down the left, two spectacle bunkers, lots of fairway on the right, and every day he just pipes it right between the bunker and the out of bounds. Right, so see, folks, there's a, there's a good level of our, of my ignoramai right there. I mean, and, and, and yes, I am an American, which means if it didn't happen outside this country, I need to look it up. <laughs> and all this obviously taking place during uh, the wartime area, right? Forties, fifties. Oh um, yeah. Obviously, the tragic car accident cutting, you know, two to three solid years off his career, right? Um, so, you know, when you're looking at that fourth all-time in majors, but I believe fourth all-time in PGA Tour wins, 64. So Yeah, that's definitely up there. Uh, his, he had his car wreck in 1949. Uh, Greyhound bus went into his lane. He leapt over his wife and uh, saved her and probably saved himself, too, because that car, I mean... Yeah. Think about it, like those cars are pretty safe back in the day. I mean, in terms of like they were really sturdy and made of steel, and they like I heard about how mangled it was and stuff, and that's awful. But I, I re always remember that he had three majors before his accident, and then he had six afterwards, and that mm -hmm. was always very remarkable to me because we all remember him uh, uh, wearing the leg sock under his slacks with the one iron. And what course was that? The famous one iron that was that's um, Marion. Marion, that's what I thought. Yeah, I well, I didn't want the Baltus roll people to get upset if I said that, but mm -hmm. I also wrote this down here because this is a really fun stat that I, I've said online before nobody seems to really talk about but in the stretch and this is including his car accident from 1948 to 53 here was Ben Hogan's results in the U.S. Open one car accident one one third one his Not four bad. U.S. Open's vic victories came in a six-year period and one of those was his car wreck I mean mm -hmm. he, he, he won the damn U.S. Open couldn't compete and then won the next two I mean, yep. other than Curtis Strange, I don't think anyone else has won back-to-back -back U.S. Opens. Or, Brooks I mean, Kepka, but... What's that? Brooks Kepka. Oh, gee, I have an old book that I've been reading here at home. <laughs> and Brooks is not, he's not in there. Shoot, I actually was going, I feel bad. I was going over the majors list trying to come up with some deep draws, and when Brooks's name popped up, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, whoa, I need to go back because I love yeah. Brooks Kepka. I, I, I am one of the rangers at Camp Kepka for sure, but uh, it, he doesn't need my attention right now. He's doing fine. Yeah, and the biggest thing about Hogan too, right? He, he ends up owning, designing his own clubs, oh, play, yeah. line up to basically use his equipment throughout the, the 70s and 80s, right? Even the 90s, those late 90s irons 
Ooh, boy. Like those Hogan. Ooh, those apexes. Um, but then the swing, right? It's the, the secrets in the dirt. Just so many of those stories from, from Texas. Um, him on the range, people watching him teaching. Oh, it's a secret, right? So definitely uh, still to this day, just textbook swing. So, yeah, I have to, I have to take Mr. Hogan there. Absolutely. And question for you. I could be getting a mix up with another golfer, but when he won the 53 Open Championship, was that his only time he went over there or am I mixing him up with somebody else? Nope. That's his only appearance, I believe. That shouldn't that be worth like two more majors? I mean, just because and that was also in the 50s where right after that, um, and this isn't like a, a tipping my hand to a, a long shot a dark horse that I was going to pick later, but uh, Peter Thompson, he won a lot of uh, Open Championships in the 50s. And the only knock they could put on, hit on poor old Peter was uh, not too many big stars played in it. And, and here's a good example where you had um, Ben Hogan, who won, the, uh, who won the one year that he went, which is in the early 50s or 53. So, okay, you had I Hogan. Think, I think the only one Thompson won, if he comes up later, great. He may or may not be on my list, but... Yeah, he's only, I think, 64, 67, he won when Trevino, um, he was in the field. I want to say a young Nicholas may have been in the field, but um, yeah, there was a, a player as well would have been in that field. But yeah, not a lot of uh, big names over there. But yeah, just to go over, you know, hey, Jerry, ride a boat for two weeks, go play four rounds of golf, win a giant tournament, ride a boat for four weeks back, and then let's see how you do. You know, that sounds like a very fun challenge. I mean, don't don't dare me too hard. <laughs> All right, so, well, here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to stick with this guy because I, I got a lot to say about him, and we're kind of keeping a good ping and pong with the decades here, but um, I'm going to go with Byron Nelson next. Okay, excellent. Now, I'm, I don't even have his, his full major accomplishments in front of me because I know the extent of the missing part of his resume very, very well. We all know that Tiger Woods is the one who broke his consecutive, uh, what was it, consecutive cut streak or consecutive, um, it was nine or 11, which was it? And so, then Tiger got Yeah, so, so Nelson holds the record for 11 consecutive victories. Victories, I'm sorry, that's, see now, cuts made and victories, there's a, there's a big gap there, obviously, but I was looking for something in between. I have an autographed picture of Byron Nelson right here to me. I actually caddied for his uh, personal manager at Bandon Dunes like 20 years ago. And I remember distinctly a brief story. I thought to myself, because I'm a pretty chatty guy when I caddy for people. And I said, uh, for once, let me just be like moody and quiet, see what happens. And then finally, by the fifth tee at Band of Noons, I look at this guy's clubs. and They're all decked out, Cleveland, everything. And I'm just like, Jesus, I mean, you like you sponsored Bob Estes or something on tour? Or like Steve Flesh, what's going on here? Shout out to Bob and Steve. Their names haven't been mentioned in a while. And uh, he and he said, like, no, no, no. Essentially, I'm, I'm the personal manager for the guy who pretty much founded Cleveland. And I just kind of walked a few steps. And I put the dots together because I'm a golf nerd. I just went, you're not Byron Nelson's manager, are you? Because he thought I wouldn't even make those dots. And he's just like, I am. And so I stopped being moody and gloomy. I started talking for 14 holes. He gave me an autographed book. And he had him send me that picture. But there's really a great story about Byron. And uh, the slight downside to it is he did get a lot of his victories in the wartime, in the early 40s for America. But he was all about golfing and winning and saving up enough money, just enough money, to buy his goat farm. Or, like, yeah, it was his goat farm. And that's why he retired in 1945, the year he set all those records. He retired once he saved up enough money by that ranch. He never won an open championship because he never traveled over across the pond. He didn't travel because he said, and I quote, I have to win to break even. And he knew he could win, but he was, it, it's kind of, it's like, I don't want to say it's like greedy on a low level, but it's like, he was about like, no, I need to make money. But it's like, I'm trying to save money. 
I'm trying to save money. But he was also, a lot of people said, well, he was also the first golfer to uh, play with steel shafts. It's like, no, he was the first golfer to really understand steel shafts. And he was also the first golfer that was quoted in his four rounds of a tournament after he teed off the first round, rounds three, four, and five. All of his tee shots would land next to his divot in the fairway every single time. The man had a swing arc. It was impossible to beat. And quite possibly, not he's not a huge what-if in sports, but a pretty big one in all the majors that he's won and without having to really apply himself, he just like played half his career domestically and retired. Like just a nice Christian farmer. Yeah. And, and the whole thing is, you know, he has he, obviously the Byron Nelson tournament in Texas <laughs> named after him. Um, almost the same thing that Jack did. Jack kind of modeled and same with Arnie around Byron, right? Everybody wanted to play at Byron's tournament. You know, he'd be there on the 18th green. Um, and then my little connection to Byron Nelson is when I was a, uh, in the golf industry working at Thornhill um, Thornhill Club is what they call it now in, in just north of Toronto. Um, that's where I believe he won his 10th of 11 tournaments was the Canadian Open hosted there. So, Oh, um, I knew it was that, one of those. I didn't know it was that one. They, uh, they have the 11th hole short, like 350, not even yard dog leg right downhill par four. Um, Nelson doubled it every day or at least bogeyed it. I think he had two doubles, two bogeys on that one hole over four rounds. So it's nicknamed Nelson's Folly right now. So kind of a little it's bit like of a Nelson he found history. The one hole, he found the one hole that just like got him, like that he just like whatever it was, like because we, we're, not, we're not saying suggesting he had a predominant doll, ball flight or whatever, but mm-hmm. that being said, like he, he was Mr. Consistent. Yep. And he sounds like he was playing one hole super consistently bad. So it's like, did he just like get indigestion every time on that tee box? And then for the next eight minutes, just, my bad. I mean, exactly. I don't know if it, it, I'm pretty sure it's the high point on the golf course that the 11th tee. So I don't know if he's like afraid of heights. I don't know. Can't tell you. Was it there? That's interesting. I'm unaware of Nelson's folly, but I like that. That's that's, I thought I was going to kill it with that Nelson story. You just brought it right on top. Meet the parent style with the spike. Speaking of <laughs> what's your next pick? Um, here's my sleeper. I'm going off the board cause I want him on my team. Um, maybe one of the original Mavericks of golf of, of world golf. I'll call it, um, the prelude to Gary player here. I'm going Bobby Locke. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jumbo was talking. No, close enough. Bobby Locke. I didn't have Bobby Locke written down. He was close. Dominated Very yeah, the American so, tour. So in his so first seven major year there, he wins six tournaments. No, not including seven. Four and I think five seven. week periods. Couldn't so even touch. Fresh to the PGA. Hey, come so, <laughs> over. Why don't you play our tour? Okay, okay I'll that? just win everything. So sorry. Uh, major cool. champions. He's got. Then he gets four. banned by the PGA so, tour. <laughs> he gets so, banned for being too successful. So basically, he wins Chicago so, by no, no, 16 shots, which wins, remains yeah, wins the four. largest so margin of victory on the PGA uh, tour to this open day. Championship. Uh, okay, um, basically. The next Those year, he gets four banned from the tour in 1949 over a dispute in playing commitment. So basically, history. he only wants so to show up when he wants he to show up, and he wins the, the damn tournament. And this is obviously before the PGA Tour the as we know it now is in existence. So basically, for those who don't know, until kind of the late 60s, um, the PGA of America basically had the professionals tour that they ran. Um, so basically, they they kind of said, okay, if you're not really a member of the PGA of America, we're just going to get rid of you basically. So he goes back over across the ponds and professional victories. He's got 74 professional wins. So 74 over a period, a very short time frame. but basically he was so good that he gets banned by the PGA tour. So he's the only guy I know for being that good that the PGA tour says, we don't need you anymore. Get the hell out of here. So I'm going with the badass Bobby Locke. 
I'm really, I'm really glad you did. I had him written down as a, as a long pick just so we could talk about that because I was actually, I was thinking it was somebody else and I was Googling their name, thinking it was Bobby Locke. I was not coming up with the story of why he got banned. I'm like, oh, this isn't someone making up. It's somebody. So sorry, Peter Thompson, but uh, I, that's who I thought it was. But it's uh, Bobby Locke. So that's, I'm glad you picked that because that story absolutely needed to be shared. I remember an instructor I had at the golf academy down in uh, Carlsbad. They, uh, he was a South African fella. He was, he was, he was a true international man of mystery. Like we, we couldn't tell what his accent was, just like with the way he talked. Like it just, he just was Mr. Cool. But he was like a real big Bobby Locke fan. And one day he told us, he just essentially like just kept sputtering like, guys, he was so good. They, 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 they banned him. Like he was so good at golf. They just said like, you're not allowed to play anymore. And it just, yeah, so- that, that had me sold. <laughs> Yeah, the, the guy that basically introduced him to the American tour was Sam Snead. So Snead has, as we know, I think he's is he tied right now with Tiger for overall tour victories, 82. Yeah, they're sitting together at 82. So he's the winningest guy in PGA Tour history. He invites basically Bobby Locke, let's do an exhibition series. They play 16 matches, and Locke wins 12 out of 16. I mean, that's so, 75% return. <laughs> that's really that's, good. That, that's like Phil Mickelson taking on Tiger in 16 of the matches for $10 million bucks, and Phil wins 12. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's <laughs> no, hey, I'm with that's you. I'm a terrible take. No big, no big deal there. So I feel bad for not writing down Sam Snead because honestly, looking at my notes here, I do know there's a really, 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 really great Sam Snead story, but I forget the competitor and I forget the year, but the – Poor thing about Snead, I'm not going to talk about him too much. He didn't win a U.S. Open, and I forget the year and the event and who it was um, as to why he lost. But he essentially had a 30-inch putt and a 31-inch putt, and his opponent said, oh, let's measure him when Sam was about to go in and knock it in with the U.S. Open. And then after they measured him, he missed, and you could just see a broken man picking up his ball and walking away, and Sam never got his U.S. Open. So Bobby Locke, let's see. Mm. God, you're not going to pick him, so I'll save him for a minute here. We'll only get a couple more picks here before I finish. So I will just toss in there uh, the King, Arnold Palmer. Really yeah. hard really hard not to pick uh, Arnie here. But ultimately, he's um, only seven majors. Not, 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 he's not a, a career Grand Slam winner. Four of his seven majors are the Masters. And he's got one U.S. Open, his iconic win at Cherry Hills in 1960, in which he drove the first green on the fourth round, which is 365 yards. That, that to me was the epitome of Arnold Palmer being like, all right, if he gets it on the square, like hits the square right on the nuts, you know, that in, in the Colorado elevation, that ball can go. But the thing that I like about Palmer, and this harkens back to the uh, Walter Hagen thing, it took Arnold, I, I mean this in, a, in as much earnestness as I can, and take it with a grain of salt, uh, any of you Brits across the pond listening to me, but it took Arnold Palmer going over there with the TV cameras and whatever prestige of the tour that he had and winning over there to get golf off that goddamn rock. It, it, like Walter Hagen helped the pros become like status, so to speak. And like, maybe they like had their own like level of like being professionals as opposed to like everybody else who was in a member at the club. And Arnold Palmer came over and, and, and like he brought his cameras to America and then he brought golf back to the rest of the world. In my opinion, golf has always been a big thing. We got Bobby Jones who's been international travel before that, but Palmer, like he, he, people said like, he, he'll be walking up 16 at Augusta. He'll look at the gallery and wink. And every single person in that gallery said he winked at me. I caddy for Arnold Palmer. I got another. We're going to get all my autographs out of the way right here. He sent that to me for Christmas. I didn't even ask about it back in 2003. And I, I just remember the guys, even in his old age, he was a coot, like on number six at Pacific Dunes. He was, uh, he, he had an eight footer for like par or bogan. He was just bitching about how they wouldn't give it to him. And I just remember like, it's an eight footer. And he's just like, you sure that's not good. He just kept saying, you sure that's not good. But, uh, but that's, that's, 
Also, the fact that he's referred to as the king. I'm really bummed out that every sport has, like, two people with that nickname. It's a great nickname. I mean, hell, Elvis Presley has that nickname, too. It means something. But in golf, there's only one man called the king, and it's Arnold Palmer. Yeah, it's it's obviously he was the first, you know, the playboy of golf, right? The Him and McCormick starting IMG, um, you know, the first golfer that could be commercialized. Flew, oh, his, own yeah, play, yeah. flew, flew his own play into tournaments. How cool is that? But he was also, I heard, like, he was the most uh, branded golfer, which, like, if you just take so many words, that might rub some people the wrong way. But ultimately, I look at it like, no, no, that that meant he sat around and put his logo on a lot of stuff. He autographed a lot of things. Like, he was all about, Mm. like, you know, it's like, there's a nice team named after him with his damn face on the can. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's... Yeah, it's something to be said, right? And again, hosts his own tournament. The players wanted to play in his tournament. Mr. Palmer, you know, the guy that always told the young pros, sign your goddamn name so you can read it, right? Oh, yes. Yes, he did. It's very easy. It almost looks forgeable. It's very clean. (laughs) I I can read it from here. It says Arnold Palmer, right? So. Oh, good. That means it's not backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, you're good on that one. So you went with the king. Uh, yeah, Smitty, we got about, uh, let's do about 10 more minutes. So give me, we'll do a couple more rounds here. Um, okay. With that being said, then, um, yeah, it can be three. I don't care, man. I mean, I got yeah. a lot of fun stuff I want to pick here. <laughs> I'm going Seve. No. Oh, okay. You see? All right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I would say I resemble him with, in regards to my golf game. Um, you put a ball on a tee. I have no goddamn idea where it's going but I'm going to find it. I'm going to make it get in the hole. I'm getting up and down wherever it's from. Um, If you've played golf with me, that's kind of the model I had growing up is just hit it out there, send it the the ultimate ball striker, not saying I am, I'm talking about Seve here, obviously. So um, a short game that, you know, even though it doesn't quit. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Yeah. Just the guy never quits. 90 professional wins, um, only nine wins on the PGA Tour, if you think about that. But how many um, Euro Tour wins does he have, Smitty? Uh, Euros 50, first all-time. First all-time. Like, a lot of people don't realize you got your Colin Montgomery's out there, your Lee Westwood's. Hell, even your Adam Scott's have tooled, tooled around the European Tour more sometimes. It's Seve Ballesteros, all-time, yep. oh, right now, current all-time uh, Tour wins leader on the Euro Tour you know, f- five majors, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got it right here. He's got the uh, three open championships and two masters. I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's yep. that's distinguished. But uh, also that fire, right? That that Ryder Cup passion. And that always came through in the Ryder Cups. The Spanish Armada kind of led that European charge in the, in the late 70s, 80s. Um, even to this day, right? You look at the 2012, is that Medina? When, was captain? Uh, no, that was when oh. uh, Jose Maria was captain. That, yeah, yeah, Jose, yeah, that's right. Right, just uh, they they wanted to do it for Seve. So obviously, uh, I, I'm Oh, mad. yeah, he passed away the year before. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so just an unbelievable career, unbelievable charisma. Um, some people might say some shady sportsmanship every once in a while, maybe a bag of chips in the, in the pocket every now and then, maybe a, a slight cough, a little, little furball in the throat during the backswing. But hey, you know what? Got the job done. So uh, going savvy. It's, I, I could easily say from, uh, from a Yankees perspective here, and this isn't me talking, this is the consensus of most of my American golf friends and family who've like sounded off on this, 
but I would say Seve Ballesteros is easily America's number one golf villain. It was very, very easy to root against him, but I never heard anyone really hate on him. Granted, his heyday was long over before we were watching golf or whatever, but it's, I just, I admire the swagger. He's a swagger hound. Mm-hmm. I, and, and Matt, I mean, I, I kind of was about to say, I, I modeled my game after his a little bit too, but then I say like, well, shouldn't we all, if we all know we can go shoot par golf, but we just might not have an accurate tee game. That's exactly how we, we all should pour one out to Seve on the first tee for that regard. I mean, exactly. why not? Yeah. Love it. So you pick Seve. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I can cross that off. And you know what? I'm going to go with this American counterpart who actually has more majors in one Lee Trevino. Yeah. Good pick. Why'd you, why'd you cover yours? What'd you, what's the matter? <laughs> didn't, didn't want to hear that pick. Oh, why is that? What's wrong with Lee Trevino? He's got two. No, no, I, I wanted him. I wanted him. He's, he's like, other than, well, until Sergio won. No, no, him and early, Ernie Els are the only two guys who can't win at Augusta, evidently. But, um, but he, he hits a cut. What are you going to do? That's, you know, that's, that's, that's why I love lefties at Augusta. And I will always bet on Bubba Watson to have his, like, his 12th PGA Tour win and his third or fourth major be Augusta again. But, um, but what I like about Trevino was just, like, you want to talk about, like, nails, salt and earth, like, gritty, dirty. He just, like, step. I've been trying to set up like him now where I just look at the target, shuffle my feet a tad, and just, like, get down and hit the sucker. Who cares? I like Lee because I really, truly think he might be the most underrated and underappreciated uh, and under-talked about, even though that's not a term, golfer of all time. And truly, and you might be able to help me out with more of the details on the story, I'll throw it to you, but he was the one guy who, I'm not going to say nobody – a lot of people weren't rattled by Jack, but guess what? If you didn't break par, who gives a crap what your middle fortitude is when you're like going eyeball to eyeball with somebody? Lee Trevino was a goofball. I, I love his carefree temperament to the game. Son of a Mexican grave digger. I mean, he has all these like rich things that can make him like be a real snotty, hard, terrible person. It's like, no, he has a very jovial nature to the point where he's the only person to rattle Jack Nicholas when, when he had that like uh, the snake trick or whatever. I forget what tournament it was. That was the US Jack Open, had- Monday playoff. Name the golf course. I, what, what was the year? I might be able to name it. I, I want to say 73. I might be mistaken on that. But 72, we've already, was, we've, 72 we've, was Pebble. Um, I'm, we've mentioned it twice before. Oh, so it's Marion. Absolutely. <laughs> Man, Marion's getting a lot of, a lot of uh, mileage on this uh, episode. <laughs> but, hey, uh, rec- record say, hosts of USGA championships. That's all true. Um, but, uh, like, even though Jack, like, laughed it off, and by laughed it off, I mean he wasn't bothered or whatever, if anyone had a chance to break Jack's psyche, I think that might have been the moment where, like, all of a sudden he comes out with a hatchet and, like, this pith helmet and a rubber snake. He's just like, ah, look what I found, and throws it at Jack. Jack doesn't flinch. He looks at it and laughs and goes, what the fuck is this guy doing? And then, but then who's to say what, how the rest of the day went? Like, he could have been sitting there the whole day, like, on the ninth hole, hit a bad wedge shot and just look at his caddy and be like, I mean, the snake, what the, who does that? Like, that's, that's what he's like. That, that's what I want somebody to look like thinking maybe like who does that but he got you <laughs> exactly and 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 the very underrated thing about Lee Trevino is maybe his acting career well other than in Happy Gilmore the uh, mega American box office hit from the early 90s uh would, was he in anything else because that was iconic that's it's, it's a gif pretty I don't sure, use it pretty sure Tin Cup no on the range scene when he starts mm-hmm. shanking no I, I uh, take it. Uh, I'm sorry. If we can go that back, Peter here. Jacobson. No, Peter Jacobson actually is the winner of the '96 fictional U.S. Open in Tin Cup, uh, and he's only seen when uh, Tin Cup's chasing him. But on the range, there's uh, Lee Jansen and Johnny Miller and uh, a couple other guys and Billy Mayfair and whatnot. But um, no, there was unfortunately no no Lee Trevino in Tin Cup. But that was the first 
article I ever wrote golf-wise was I was ranking the golf movies, and not to irk anyone, but I put Caddyshack last, because that's a comedy movie about golf folks. It could have been a comedy movie about tennis. We'd quote it all the same. It doesn't matter. But Tin Cup, Tin Cup, Tin Cup is exactly golf everything. They had Peter goddamn Costas in there. They had a young Mickelson. With the exception of Don Johnson and uh, and Kevin Costner, they they had camera. They had Corey Pavin, the '95 U.S. Open champion, saying, "I can't believe his name's going to be right next to mine on the trophy." Right there, I say, "Sign, seal, deliver." Like one of the most like the best non-accurate sports movies ever. So sorry, Lee Trevino, your your acting career is great in in Happy Gilmore. It's stellar. The four scenes where you're shaking his head, judging, judging, watching. Look at the baby. Look at the baby. What do you got, Matt? Uh, my next pick. Yeah, you got – well, listen, uh, I tell you what. Are we going six each to make up a, a round dozen? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I think I know who yours is going to be. His name might be <laughs> on the wall behind you, so I'll, I'll leave him. Um, I'm going with Tom Watson. Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad I baited you because that's exactly the one I was going to pick if you didn't. So why are you picking Tom Watson to be your uh, sixth man? So eight majors obviously speaks for itself. Um, it, you know, when we look at that era of, of Jack Nicholas, who is right in there that entire time, for the most part of the dominance of Nicholas was, was Watson, right? At the beginning was Palmer. At the end was Watson. Watson definitely, Watson's career definitely overlapped Nicholas's more than anyone else did, if your name wasn't Lee Trevino. Exactly. One shot away from the Grand Slam, right? 78 PGA. So we uh, tie for second there. Um, just a, a, a career of winning at the biggest golf tournaments at the biggest stage against probably, you know, number two on our list, but the most winningest major winner of all time, Jack Nicholas, right? So mm-hmm. goes and wins five open championships. And as a as an American player in the 70s and 80s, something that we can't really look out look over. Um, completely different game than what's played. Um, obviously the duel in the sun is what he's most famous oh. for, but also a win at St. Andrews as well. Mm-hmm. Um, couple that as well with a, a PGA champions career as well. Very successful. And then almost winning again, the open championship at 58 years old. Mm-hmm. Like be quite possibly becoming, if it weren't for Tiger Woods doing what he did, the coolest golf story of all time. Like I asked a lot of people, like what, what would have been cooler than Tom doing that? And I'm sure even Stuart Sink says like, that he's got to feel like the worst, like, and Stuart's, and it couldn't happen to a nicer guy, happened to a nicer guy. He won a major for my sakes. Stuart Sink yeah. is the nicest soul on the planet. He's like the president of the PGA players union and, and, and whether he wants to or not, they just love him. And, mm-hmm. Or no, he's like the ombudsman. That's way different than the president of the union. Anyways, I'm sorry. Uh, back to uh, back to Watson. Yeah, eight majors, five of them open championships. All I have written down here is something that I usually like to bring up against Patrick Reed in a very big questioning sense. But there are only four American golfers to have lifetime European tour status. Can you name them? Um, Tom Watson. Mm-hmm. Patrick Reed. <laughs> well, this is getting easier now. <laughs> um I'm going to go Tiger Woods, Mm-mm. which is probably wrong. I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> it's, nope. it's, it's a Jack, Arnie, um, Tom Watson, and Patrick Reed. Now we can, well, we can slough- which one of those Patrick- is not like the others? Uh, well, the, we can slough off the Patrick Reed carbuncle and talk about it another time on Formaldehyde. But what I really like about Tom Watson is I feel like he's always kind of been 
to anyone who's familiar with American baseball, or I could just call it baseball, um, like Brian McCann, like he was like the president of the No Fun Police. Like Tom Watson is a very starchy, like uh, stern, serious, into, well, not necessarily serious. He's just like, like he, he saw Craig Stadler in a tournament, put a towel down on his knee so he didn't get his slacks dirty. And Tom Watson sitting in his Barker lounger at home called it in and he wound up losing, and Stadler wound up losing the tournament. Like he's just, he's a real stingy by the rules. He's a purist. Tom Watson might be one of the biggest purists of golf, and there's nothing wrong with that if we're talking about golf and we're promoting golf. And that's why I feel eight majors, five open championships, seeing Tom Watson get lifetime exemption isn't is kind of not a no-brainer, but I'm not surprised. I'm really not. Yeah. So there's my uh, – is that my final pick? If that's my final pick, that's a solid final pick. Yeah, Woods, Jones, Hogan, Locke, Seve, and um, 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 uh, your last one there, uh, Watson. Watson. Who, who who has one of my favorite shots in uh, Tom Watson does uh, 82 U.S. Open Championship at Pebble the 71st hole when he misses the 17th hole at, at Pebble is my favorite the long ass par three where Jack in 72 cracked the one iron that bounced off the stick and was like that far away that's one of my favorite shots in golf history just that just it was 217 probably playing 230 at least with the wind probably more and uh, so Tom he hits his ball uh, as we all know behind the green. And uh, his, his caddy, Bruce, says, oh, he's like, oh, he's like, good luck. He's like, oh, I'm going to make it. And, of course, he pop, hits the shot that we all know. And it could only go in. If not, it was going to fly right by. And it went in. He went on to win his uh, only U.S. Open at Pebble because we had uh, U.S. Opens at Pebble. They were kind of staggered evenly at the time. So, anyways, we'll get down to it and wrap it up real quick. And I want you to take this away as well because this gentleman here who finishes off my team is really the epitome of what we like to think of in terms of greatness or who we like to root for, but also maybe even unsung and underappreciated in what could have been stories. And no, folks, it's not Anthony Kim. You all know I'm the president of the underground Anthony Kim Club. I am. But we don't talk about that, like Fight Club. I have a huge, huge, huge fondness of Mo Norman. So much to the point that I cannot watch his <clears throat> instructional... I get choked up about it. I can't watch his anything about him on YouTube because... If I start to listen to him, I have to go – I don't like going to the range. I have to go to the range and, like, break down what he said in my head just to get it out of my head. To be like, nope, th th I know that doesn't work for me because he was – to put it more on a positive side, he was a golf savant who just essentially mm – -hmm. like, golf is kind of an art to me, and that's why I like Tom Doak, the architect, because he's an architect who points out saying, you're wrong, you're right, you're wrong, whereas everyone likes to get along and agree on stuff mostly, and everything's your own personal touch. Mo would just straight up, like, call you out for what you are possibly could it be with a dusting of autism or, or whatever mental capacity that he had at the time, which uh, kept him off the PGA tour because of his, God, this was the fifties. People didn't know how to deal with people who had like, who were stemming or had like tendencies or things like that. They didn't even know what Tourette's was back in the day, but you had this guy who had like the square swing, but he was uh, too bad. We called the iron Byron. We should call it the iron Norman, but he would just essentially like, like a computer just dial up a swing and be like, Nope, I'm going to do this, do this watch. And he'll just hit like, He'll hit 50 straight right on your coffee table. And you're like, you want to see some hooks? He'll just like start. I mean, I know, Matt, I know you've got some stories about Mo, and that's why, you know, there wasn't, I wasn't trying to shoe him into this, but he had to be, he's on my Mount Rushmore favorite golfers all time. And he doesn't even technically have a golf career, does he? Um, a little bit. So he has played in the Masters, um, has played in, I believe, U.S. Open, uh, multiple, many Canadian Opens, um, Canadian PGAs. Um, but really known as the best ball striker of all time. So people always say, you know, Hogan may have had the prettiest swing, great ball striker. Who says that? <laughs> a couple people. 
Um, but, but for somebody who actually owned the golf swing, made it their own and became the greatest ball striker of all time, there, there's a photo out there. I believe it's, I believe it's on the, on the range at a Canadian open. I want to say early to mid nineties and it's Mo Norman hitting balls. There's a massive pile of balls because for any Mo Norman stories, he would, <laughs> he would, he'd hit balls till his hands bleed. You put a thousand balls down, he's going to hit all thousand in one sitting. Um, but it's him with Faldo, Nick Price, and Freddie Couples just standing there, arms on their side, leaning on clubs, just watching him hit all these golf balls. So for, for a guy who at that point would have been probably in his early 50s, mid-50s, oh, yeah, yeah. not really competitive, obviously, just there um, putting on you know, his demonstration of ball striking for, for three guys, three talents like that to actually just stand back and watch. Um, something to behold, I'm sure. So I, I can say I was fortunate enough at one point as a junior to, to stand 20 feet away watching him do an entire clinic. And for him to, you know, a miss hit would have been about a, a, a two yard short thin, you know, maybe uh, as Johnny Miller would say a quarter groove low. Um, that's about <laughs> as far off center as that thing would get. So definitely uh, a unique story, a unique golf talent. And uh, like you said, completely underrated in the golf world. It's it's funny because I was talking to uh, uh, Ty um, earlier today, and it, I, he said to me, he's like, I'm really, he said to me, he's just like, uh, you're probably the only person I know down there that knows about Mo Norman. I'm just like, come again? He's like, I, I know Ty travels in different circles that we might uh, uh, not per se in terms of we tend to talk golf more, but it's like, uh, in terms of all my American uh, golfing friends, half of us know, know Mo Norman, and all of us that know Mo Norman love Mo Norman. I mean, mm-hmm. I have this shirt here that we made on my old website that I thought was going to be my opus. We only sold one. I bought it, but um, it's, it's taken off the, the bow nose. And I thought, Oh my God, this could be perfect. Didn't work out, but still love it. I mean, I encourage anyone to go look up his YouTube videos, Mo Norman. It's as easy to uh, type in as it sounds to spell. So that's, uh, he's amazing. He's a, he's a delight. Yeah. When you think about it, you know, Sneed, Hogan, Jones, uh, all these all times greats, he's the only one of his own golf swing, right? Natural golf or the natural swing, whatever it might be called to teach you to hit it just like Mo. So, you know, we look at almost these days, Bryson DeChambeau with his, whatever method he's trying to hit, you know, the original Bryson might be making it cool right now, but it was cool to watch Mo hit a golf ball back in the seventies and eighties. I'm sure. And pre- I, I know there's, there's, there's just not enough footage about it. Like I hear you tell stories about it and I heard other people tell stories about it. I'm just like, that's something that you can't pick up on film. You just can't. Mm-hmm. I watch like old baseball highlights from 2001 and it looks like somebody's filming it with an eight millimeter handheld. It's just like, what, what huh? I mean, but it's, it, he's a treat. We can go on and on and talk about yeah, it. Yeah. The, the best story I know, and it's probably the, the most famous most story is, you know, he, he's playing a course for the first time. It's a qualifier or tournament. It's round one. He turns to his caddy, and, and in those days, the caddy just basically carried the bag for you. He goes, what do I do here? And, and the caddy goes, well, it's a, a three-wood and a wedge. So Mo pulls out his, his wedge off the tee, <laughs> hits it 125 yards, then pulls out his three-wood, knocks it to 10 feet, makes birdie, and goes, well, he told me it's a three-wood or a wedge. I just didn't know which order it was in, right? He, he would just do stuff like that because he could. Like, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> and I know, I know there was so much going around in his head. Part of me wants to be like, how arrogant? It's like, no, I don't think arrogance was any part of it. I, I, I think his brain was spinning four times faster than any of ours. And he was able to apply it physically in the golf game, which is, 
you know, some would say easier than you think. It's like, no, it's like hand-eye coordination is pretty tricky. Yeah. Especially, shoot, I went to golf school. There's a degree for it right there. I used to teach golf before that. I failed the ball flight laws twice because I was like, okay, here's what I think they are. Wrong. Okay. I put it backwards. Like, okay, I guess let me do the opposite of all the answers. Wrong. Well, I don't know the golf swing anymore. Just my own, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But that's why we're also here doing this podcast. <laughs> mix in a physics, a physics class, maybe. Maybe mix one of those in. And that's, you know what, uh, ultimately that's why I don't sneer at DeChambeau too much because I just, I appreciate people doing things at all. It's just more people need to do them so we can make fun of more people or make fun of nobody, so. Yeah, to each well, their Smitty, own. This is, this is ran a little long, but it's okay. It's perfectly all right. This has been, uh, I've been nervous. <laughs> it's, it was my first time with you, so hopefully we can uh, keep doing this and uh, this didn't disappoint the powers that be too much and hopefully uh, the few of y'all that are listening right now you didn't punch any holes in your dashboard and you uh, you found this enjoyable yeah hope the same as well and uh who knows we'll have to dial up another one soon i think we're gonna be pumping these out on a on a weekly basis and we're hitting the ground running with hopefully a very entertaining first inaugural. I hate when people say first annual. I'm glad you let off with inaugural. So I've never heard of first annual. People say that. Oh, all the time. It drives oh. me. Oh, you know, I hear people say dumb stuff all the time. I'm surprised. I haven't. Oh, first annual. Bro. Yeah. So when you That's let it's off. It's like, with... Hey, hey, Matt, you're in finance. How, I can, uh, how do you like the term pin number? Man, it is what it is. Ah, see, see, you're so used to it. Everyone does it. Just <laughs> Uh, so I, I knew we were off to a hot start when you said inaugural. I'm like, hey, you know what? Can't get better than that. I'm done. <laughs> well, that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's uh, we won't we won't necessarily be doing like a, a draft like that. But like I said, we were trying to stretch our legs, get comfortable with each other, and let you guys all out there get to know us a little bit in terms of what we know, what we don't know certainly, and uh, hopefully a lot we'll get of that. To- yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll, and, and stay informed with us. Uh, email us stuff. Find us on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle again, Smitty? Zero fairways given. That's a number zero. That's a number zero. That's a goose egg. Yeah, That's- and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jerry Lou Looper. We tend to, I don't know, uh, Matt's a pretty uh, reserved and professional guy. He doesn't tend to get as noisy as I do, but uh, he is watching. He knows. So, so we really thank you for listening. We appreciate this. I don't really have a, a final outro yet i know we got some badass music i just haven't heard it yet (laughs) it's coming it's coming the heat is coming so yes as smitty said we're going to be doing this uh once a week hopefully um and we'll get you some fun bonus stuff in the meantime if golf doesn't pick up so i am jerry lou from matt smitty we really appreciate listening it's been a thin slice of heaven and to all the old fans to all the new fans old friends new lovers shout out